Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again, captaining this ship through our turbulent waters that are that is Sports November. Holy crap, that made no sense, but at this point, this is the fourth time I've recorded this intro and it's staying in. Um, but anyway, that's right. We are continuing on with Sports November. Uh, obviously, we just got through some trivia episodes, and we are had to pull an audible here. Um, so in th- we are going to do kind of a back-to-back minisodes. Um, we're going to do Cleveland Sports Questions, and guess what? The next episode will be Cleveland Sports Answers. Um, I'm going to ask some questions. Um, I'm going to ask some questions that are facing uh, our beloved Cleveland sports teams, and I'm throwing in the Buckeyes as well, um, since uh, since you know a lot of people uh, a lot of people in Cleveland are Buckeyes fans, obviously. But um, I'm going to throw out two questions that I think are the two are the two biggest questions facing uh, all of our beloved teams, and then um, I'm going to answer one and leave one unanswered for the next episode to kind of use as a jumping off point for. Uh, for each team. Uh, you'll see as we get into it. It'll make more sense once we start getting into it. Um, but I do want to start off, per usual here, a little sports grievance. And since this episode is, again, this is a Cleveland sports questions episode, so if you are, if you have no interest in Cleveland sports, um, you might not be very into this episode. Um, so I am going to start my uh, this episode off with a, with a grievance, and it is, in fact, Cleveland sports fans themselves i'm gonna kind of phrase a lot of these as questions uh since just to kind of keep with the theme of this particular episode so here's my here are a lot of my grievances with cleveland sports fans why is it that you know we're, we're always noted as this very passionate fan base you know when it comes to especially when it comes to our football team uh, when it comes to the browns you know we have the dog pound you'll see people out uh, you'll see videos of people out like in the muni lot um you know with dog paint, you know, face paint, make themselves look like dogs, and eating "quote unquote" dog bones and all this other bullshit, uh, you know, for the uh, for the dog pound, uh, it's it's you know, it's it's a very festive sort of almost circus like atmosphere. Um, you know, Cleveland sports in Cleveland is very very important, top to bottom. You know, from the high school level on up, it is a big deal. Um, sports are a very big deal here in Cleveland. But why are we for such a passionate fan base? One of the clearly most ill-informed fan bases around. We have we have people that are quote unquote diehard Browns fans or Guardians fans or Cavs fans, whatever that don't even know who is on the team. Um, you know, and, and I mean, and I'm not I'm not saying that like they have to know everyone on the roster. Um, you know, like on the 53 man roster or the 26 man roster or the I think the NBA's 15 man roster. I, I, that that's not like really the point. The point being that like. Very notable, very notable positions, you know, like the starting quarterback. People like don't know who that is. Um, people don't know when when star players get injured or go down. People have no idea who are on, you know, who are filling up the ranks of the baseball team that they apparently care for, um, or or in some cases care so much about uh, the name change that they're they're going to boycott even though they don't actually fucking know who's on the team. Um, we have, I, I, you know, it, that's one part of it. Another part of this sort of uninformed stuff is that, like, the, I, I just, I don't understand how or why people think. I, I always hear these bizarre, like, trade scenarios with, with our various teams where it's like, oh, well, we can just trade this, you know, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and we'll get this, t- we'll get, uh, inf- you know, we'll get, be able to get Mike Trout back. Why on earth would the Angels trade us Mike Trout for spare parts? 
And it, it's basically all of this kind of, you know, and you'll hear like, well, you know, the salaries match up and we can and we can make the money work. But but the question would be, why would the Angels trade Mike Trout to us for spare parts? And I've heard so many variations of this over the years where it's basically just let's give let's give team A with good players um, all of our bad players. And, you know, if we make the salaries work, they'll trade us their good players for our bad players. It just doesn't fucking work that way, people. Um, It's you make a trade. You got to give up stuff to get stuff. That's just how trades in the league work. It's how trades. That's how any kind of transaction, realistically speaking, in your life works. You give up something that you want, they give up something that they want, um, and if if it's a good transaction, then both sides go away a little bit pissed off, and that's just how that's especially how sports transactions work, sports trades work. Um, it, it's just infuriating to hear like some of these people uh, talk about like who we could who we could trade for, who we could sign, and it just doesn't make sense. I also. I don't really understand why the why Cleveland sports fans aren't more fully on the bandwagon of the Guardians or of the Cavs. Um, it, this it's mystifying to me that that really the sports the, the most passionate and intense sports fandom here in Cleveland is for the Browns. It's for football, and I get it. I love football, and like I said, it is high school football in this area. High school sports in this area, but especially high school football in this area, all the way up, you know, in the state, in the entire state, high school and college football, super duper important. So, like, I get that. I not naive. However, the Browns have historically, especially the, the new Browns since 1999, have done nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn any of the passion and fandom that that uh, people show up every every Sunday for to give them. Whereas. The Cavaliers make the playoffs on the on, on with regularity. Um, the Cavaliers have won a championship in in my lifetime. The Browns have not. The Guardians every single year, despite um, you know being a despite being a low revenue uh, team, a low payroll team, um, every year they are in contention or in the playoffs, and they have been for the past um, you know for the past twenty years. This has been the case. They've been in the playoffs something like. Um, Oh gosh, I want to say like 13 times in the past 20 seasons or something like that. Maybe it's 12 with the past 20 seasons. Uh, that's certainly not the case with the Browns, and yet we waste so much time in the Browns, and in very, very many cases, um, just kind of ignore the other teams, uh, to, even though the other teams are the ones that have tasted success in a much more meaningful way in recent years. And sort of the last thing that the sort of the last question I'll ask here, you know, the rhetorical or whatever. Why are we so public, publicly obnoxious about teams, about our fandom, our, about our fandom for teams that have not had a ton of success? Again, we have one championship here in the last 50-some seasons. 56 seasons, I think it is now, is what we're moving on to 55. Um, one title. And yet, a lot of people, we, we remain some of the most insufferable... Again, it's not everybody, but we remain one of the most insufferable fan bases in, in many cases. Where if you go on go on social media and see all the shit talking Browns fans do on Browns Twitter, and you would think that the Browns that Browns fans were in the middle of a run with Tom Brady winning seven consecutive titles or something. That's what you would. That's what it seems like. It doesn't seem like it's a. And believe me, I love the Browns, especially this season's been 
uh, whereas we're going to talk about it, it's been a very interesting season thus far, and I'm, I'm still optimistic despite some recent events. But you would think that that the the, the way that um, the Browns fandom talks about the Browns, you would think that this was prime New England, prime Tom Brady, prime Bill Belichick. Um, that you'd think that's what was happening in Cleveland, not a team that has made the playoffs. Let's see, uh, once in the past twenty seasons, is that correct? I believe they've made the playoffs one time in the past twenty seasons. Um, so again, you would you would think that this was a Super Bowl. The Browns fans, and the, just this kind of extends to the fan base in general. You would think that this was fucking title town. The way people talk and, and brag about the teams here, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. So I, you know, I I'm not saying that like we shouldn't be as passionate, shouldn't be as um, boisterous about the teams that we like, whatever. I, I, I think for me, it's just about God, be a more educated and a better fan. That That's the big thing there. Be a be a better educated fan so you don't make us all look fucking stupid every, every weekend, um, every Browns game, every Cavs game, every, during the playoffs. Maybe you could get to know the players and spell their names correctly. Like, that would be a big thing. So, I, I don't know. I, it's just one of those, it, it is, I guess it's being sort of, immersed in the fan base is one of those things and I'm, I'm sure every i'm sure every single fan base in every single city in america there are people that um you know i guess kind of uh there there are uh, there's enough bad apples um to spoil the bunch essentially and people notice it but anyway that's that is the that is the sports grievance i decided to go with for this particular episode all right so let's get into it let's start with the browns um <clears throat> again i think again the most important team here in Cleveland, if we're uh, if we're being honest, um, and it's probably not even that close. Uh, but so we'll start with the Browns, and obviously, big big stuff happening today. Um, as it turns out, that uh, Deshaun Watson will be missing the rest of the season with uh, you know with like uh, not emergency, but like I literally think he's having his shoulder surgery on this broken bone in his shoulder like tomorrow. Um, so it, it was like an urgently needed surgery. Kind of impressive that he even played. Um, he even played uh, in that Ravens to finish out that Ravens game of completing all of his passes with a broken bone in his shoulder. Um, so it, it is, it, and it was a different injury than what he had originally hurt. Though I'm sure they're directly related. Um, you know, once you begin, the shoulder is such a complex, such a complex open joint. It gets injured easily. There's all sorts of little muscles in it. Um, obviously, tendons and connections with it. It's once you begin damaging your shoulder, as and I can tell you from personal experience, once you begin damaging one part of your shoulder, more of it starts to go and go if you don't take care of the original injury. So I'm sure it was related, um, at least somewhat. But anyway, Deshaun Watson out for the rest of the Brown season. So I think this brings us to our very very first. Our very first question here, the biggest biggest question facing the Browns right now, and that is, what is the reality of Deshaun Watson on the Browns going forward? And um, obviously, you feel free to leave your guess, uh, your comment on this one here, uh, wherever you happen to be finding this, I guess. I don't know. You could email it to me, I suppose, or leave it on our Instagram page if you want to leave some comments. But um, for me the this is this is a really tough one this is a very tough one to answer because and i'm gonna this i'm gonna throw a bunch out here and then but you know stick with me through this little this little adventure deshaun watson has in the 
now that we know he's going to miss the rest of the season. In the past four years, Deshaun Watson has played in something like 11 games total. And, you know, assuming this is assuming that he comes back completely healthy next year, um, completely healthy next year. We he has so much rust on him that it, it is sort of it's very difficult to, to make any kind of prognosis about what the team could look like next year with him at the helm. And it, it feels like no matter what, again, this is assuming that everything goes well with his shoulder and he's completely healthy. It feels like no matter what, we are starting over from square one where we, when we got him, when we first, when the Browns first traded for him and, you know, he first obviously had to sit out for the, the first 11 games or whatever. It feels like we are starting all the way over at that point again. And we're going to have to go through this whole sort of, um, this whole sort of process of getting him up to speed, physically up to speed, and then getting him acclimated to um, you know the plays and everything that we're running. Uh, it just it feels like this this is such a such a huge kick in the pants that it is really difficult to exactly to exactly sort of pinpoint what things could look like next year. And I think it also it complicates a lot of other things as well. Um, you know, like what if, you know, what if for, you know, what if management decides that they want to move on from Kevin Stefanski? So, you know, we bring in a new coach, new coaching staff, new system. So not only is it a physical restart for, for Watson, now it's a mental play calling restart for Watson. Um, you know, what if certain, you know, with, without the, without knowing exactly, not that you, well, not okay. Sorry, I'm, try, I'm about to go into a separate separate point there. So you know, the coaching staff one being, you know, like we don't know that sort of there's a there's a big there's like two sort of big clouds hanging over the possibilities there, and you know without I don't think they're going to fire Kevin Stefanski. That's not what I'm saying, but it, you know, stranger things have happened um, in in the NFL coaching ranks. That's for sure. Um, and then when you look at certain players and certain, um, you know, maybe you. Maybe you wouldn't have um, spent uh, a draft pick on a certain on a certain um, on a certain player, but now considering, uh, you know, you don't know the the long term health of of Watson. Maybe you do consider uh, taking a quarterback in like the second or third round um, that you that, we, that you would uh, this. And I know they already did with uh, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, but it doesn't mean it's it sort of quarterback is one of those positions in the NFL. You just not that you just take one every year, but it's not the worst idea to take a quarterback to develop. And if we're not like 100% sure about the health of Deshaun Watson, then, you know, taking another developmental quarterback might not be the worst thing in the world. And this also, again, this more, this more affects free agency. You know, what kind of, then if, you know, if you're not 100% comfortable turning over the reins of the team to some combination of PJ Walker, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and another free agent, um, you know, then, then who, who are you looking for? Are you looking for something? Are you just looking for the next, um, and I it would be, actually be really great if we had him back right now. Um, are you looking for the next Jacoby Brissett to sort of, you know, warm the seat? Or is there a possibility that, you know, if you're unsure about his health next year, um, are you going to go make a bigger splash for a Kirk Cousins for, um, I, I mean, I don't know, trading for, for Jimmy Garoppolo or something. Um, you know, whatever it's, 
there really are a lot of sort of questions now that have been put up in the air. I think if, I think if, if, um, you know, we, knowing that Deshaun was dealing with um, ankle and shoulder injuries or whatever, if this was like a one, one or two week or even like a, a three week or a month long injury, I think, I think we would kind of not, we would still definitely be worried um, about, you know, about next year. But I think that at least has sort of a, because there's at least potential for, for that to be resolved in season, that there's just fewer questions hanging around it. But now that he's going to be missing the rest of the season, you know, with a, with a, you know, shoulder reconstruction or whatever they're calling it, there's just so many questions that open up and it really is hard to look forward at this team. Um, and it's really hard for me to go, you know, despite the fact that we have this like a clearly elite defense, very solid running game. It is really hard to then look towards next year and go, okay, so we've gotten, because, you know, again, Deshaun did not get to finish this season. He never really got to get up to, to full speed. You know, he, we saw him making incremental improvements um, when he wasn't injured this season. We saw him making incremental improvements, but we never got to a place where I think, I think this past game was the closest we got to seeing what Deshaun Watson actually is or could be. And again, we have to start over. And I just think that there's a huge question mark as to what then that looks like um, next year. It's just, a, it's a really, really unfortunate situation. I know a lot of people out there are going to be calling uh, karma and I, I get it. I totally get it. I've made it. I've made my point on Deshaun very, very clear that, I am not rooting for Deshaun Watson. I am rooting for Miles Garrett. I'm rooting for Joel Batonio. I'm rooting for the hometown boy Denzel Ward. Um, you know, I'm rooting for Stefanski. Like I want those are the people that I want to, you know, to for us to win a title for for Nick Chubb. Um, that's and it just so happens that Deshaun Watson is the quarterback of the team. But I, I am I am cheering for the the fan favorites who don't have loads and loads of questionable baggage hanging around them and that is the most polite way i can kind of describe the the deshaun watson situation um you know it, it, it his presence on the team has really there was once upon a time when people kind of did feel bad for the browns when things kind of went against us you know when we had some unusual and believe me there we have we have invented the browns have invented ways to to lose that would just boggle your mind and once upon a time other other sports fans around the league felt sorry for us. And the presence of Deshaun Watson, all of that sort of goodwill is completely gone. And so when bad things happen to the Browns, it's it does feel like the rest of the of fans in the league are just kind of pointing and saying, see, that's what you fucking get. So that, that has always been my position on Deshaun Watson. Um, it will not change. I do hope that I think something is wrong with him. Um in a, in a in a certain way and i hope that he is able to to do things that to do things that are 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 positive um in the wake of of everything that's, that everything that is uh you know has derailed his career i hope that some positives come out of it and he's the one making the positive changes but you know whatever it's it's a hope and a dream right but uh, you know, at the very least, if the Browns are successful, in my head, the separation I can draw is that it's they're successful, and I'm happy for the players that I'm happy for. So 
that was a long-winded way for to answer that first question there about the reality of Deshaun Watson and the Browns uh, going going forward. Um, and also, unfortunately, he's guaranteed he's got guaranteed money coming to him for the next three seasons or four seasons or whatever. So, um, you know, like it or not, he's he's he is our quarterback unless he physically can't, uh, you know, isn't up to the task anymore. So. The second most pressing question facing the Browns, and the one that I'm going to leave for uh, for the next episode um, as our jumping off point, uh, how do we even measure success for this particular season? I think with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, there is a clear – with Deshaun Watson at quarterback and the defense that, that we've been playing – I keep saying we. I'm not on the Browns, but whatever. Um, and the defense the Browns have been playing, there was like a definitely a clear sort of – there was a clear sort of um, – um, idea that like yeah playoffs great but this team is good enough to win at least one or possibly two games in the playoffs so there was so there was at one point in time a sort of at least part of a measuring stick there um, but now without Deshaun Watson um, they're going to be starting Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, DTR is going to be the starting quarterback going forward until you know unless it becomes obvious that PJ Walker needs to be the starting quarterback. I, I do wonder if the how we measure success for the season, if that changes. So that's something we're going to answer for. That's something we're going to answer uh, in the episode tomorrow. All right, so let's move on to our Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, right now, off to a kind of inauspicious, a little uneven start. Um, they've had a lot of injuries to deal with. You know, they just got Jared Allen back. Uh, a few games ago, he's getting up to up to speed. They've been Darius Garland's been in and out of the lineup, um, so it's been. In a, I'll, I'll also they have some new pieces too, so it's been a a little bit of a, a rocky start. But you know, it's they have plenty of time to sort of find their footing and and you know, basketball being one of the most one of the sports that really um, where chemistry really is important. Um, I mean, it's important in every sport, but. Really, really important in basketball where, you know, there's a lot of anticipation and, and movement without the ball and knowing where guys, uh, you know, like to take shots from, that kind of stuff. When you when you don't have your full complement of, of players right from the rip, um, it does make sort of getting into a groove a little bit harder. So I'm not terribly worried about the start. I think they're like four and six uh, to start at the first 10 games. Um, we'll be worried if we're... 20 25 games in and we're still talking about a team that's below 500 but not worried right now but let's but speaking of the of that lineup one guy who has been there uh for pretty much every game thus far um one mr donovan mitchell spider one of my favorite players in the nba um so the i guess the general the general question is that the Cavs gave up a lot of a lot of draft capital and uh, a few good players um you know larry Markin has turned into a uh, he was very solid here, but he's turned into an all-star level player in Utah. Um, uh, they give a bunch of draft picks. Um, so a lot went into the Donovan Mitchell uh, trade. So I guess the que- the big question here is, how does the Donovan Mitchell experiment end for the Cavaliers? And there's, I mean, there's basically only two ways this ends. Um, he Now, he does enjoy playing here. Like, he enjoys the complement of players that he's got. He enjoys playing with Darius Garland. He enjoys playing with Evan Mo- Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen, but there's always this. There's just seems to be this constant. He's a uh, he's from he's from uh, Connecticut. Um, you know, was 
from the the New York metropolitan area, but from Connecticut, like you know, literally like a thirty minute train ride um, into the city. Um, you know, he grew up a, a Knicks fan. He's a he's a big time Mets fan. Like you'll see him like throwing out first pitches for the Mets. And there's always going to be this sort of question hanging over him about potentially going back to uh, play for either the Knicks or the Nets. Probably more likely the Knicks. Um, but you know, there's always this big question about him going home. And really, realistically speaking, this only ends one of two ways. He likes the situation here in Cleveland, and he opts to extend his contract, or he doesn't. And, um, you know, then the, it would be in the best interest of the Cavs if they do know, if they do know um, far enough ahead. And I think I think it, it's obviously the, the Cavs still have him for this season, and I think next season would be his last season on his current contract. It would be in the best interest of the Cavs if they don't feel like that they can get, and this is kind of where I'm leaning with this, um, simply because of the way the NBA is and the way the way certain markets, um, re- especially regardless, since the, since the money is a little bit different in, in a sport like the NBA, it's not like it's not like there's a team like the the Yankees or the Dodgers that can just kind of buy everyone necessarily. Um, if the Cavs determine that they don't have a chance to sign Donovan Mitchell for whatever reason, whether whether it's he wants to go, he really wants to go play in New York that badly, or he just wants a different situation, whatever. And this is the way I think it is going to go. Um, they need to consider then, um, you know, play out this season, obviously, and then consider trading him in the offseason um, to either recoup draft some draft capital or, you know, swap him for another player. Uh, either way, it doesn't really matter. I just, I don't see the only way that I see Donovan Mitchell being here for another, you know, three or five years or, you know, potentially being, you know, finishing his career in Cleveland, which is very unlikely. Um, the only way I see that happening is if, is if the Cavs manage to win a title this year. And while I do thoroughly enjoy this Cavs team, um, I, again, Donovan Mitchell, one of my favorite players in the NBA, um, love Darius Garland. Um, you know, once when he's healthy, he adds, uh, really, a, a, he's, he's definitely done a really good job of sort of stepping aside as the number two and uh, becoming the number two and also becoming the main facilitator, the, the true point guard, um, since we've, since Donovan has joined the team. Um, you know, I, I like Evan Mobley. I think he needs to take a few steps forward with his offensive game, but, He's uh, he's a defensive player of the year candidate um, right now, so you know I the only and as much again as much as I like this team, I just can't see them getting over the hump. Uh, be it even if they manage to get all the way to the finals, I can't imagine that they can get past uh, Joker and and the Nuggets. I, I have trouble imagining them being able to get past the Bucks. I have trouble imagining them. You know, God forbid the they have to face the Knicks again and they and the Knicks just beat the beat the piss out of them uh like they did like they did in their last playoff matchup i just i don't think i don't i just don't think the timing is right um for this particular team it just feels like there's too much in the way um i, I don't even think a trade unless they were to, unless they were to trade for someone very big time uh which isn't going to happen because they just don't have the they don't have again they don't have the draft capital for it um the, the only way that they could really sort of swing something in their favor is if they were to move several pieces around and bring in bring in a um a championship caliber piece like a like a Jimmy Butler or um 
I don't know if they're somehow, you know, to sw- to swing something for to Ky- for Kyrie Irving or something like that. None of those things are going to happen. Obviously, I'm just thinking aloud about the type of player that um, you know the, the level of player that the Cavs would need to, I think, swing things uh, in their favor to to become a, a potential Finals favorite. I just don't think they're there. I think they're in that next tier of teams that I think they could easily make a run all the way to um, the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but it, it just, again, I just don't think the timing is right for this team. And if the Cavs feel like, if the Cavs feel like they're not going to be able to keep, um, Mitchell for an extended period of time, or even just a couple of years longer than this current contract, I, I think that you have to move on from him simply because you have to try to, you have to try to reset the window as much as you can, um, with, you know, you still have Darius Garland locked up, um, Jared Allen's locked up for a few more seasons and, you know, you still have Evan Mobley on his, on his rookie deal. So you could in theory sort of push the window out a couple of years if you are able to make a, a shrewd move and either recoup draft picks or potentially recoup players um, in a Donovan Mitchell trade. So I just don't see him. I would love to be wrong. Cause again, Donovan, one of my favorite players, I just don't see him being, being a cavalier for the next you know, five or six seasons after this one. I just don't see it happening. So the question that we're going to roll into tomorrow, kind of a conspiracy theory question. I'm actually really excited to dive into this one. Uh, but will LeBron finish his career in Cleveland? Big question there. Um, you know, we we know that he has some aspirations to play with uh, one or potentially, he said, both of his sons. Um, and if anyone can do it, I think it's LeBron. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna say anything more there, just that because uh, I really want to kind of jump into this question tomorrow. Uh, it should be a pretty fun one. But uh, will LeBron finish his career in Cleveland? Okay, we've covered football and basketball. How about a little bit of baseball, and we'll talk about our Cleveland Guardians. So the biggest, most obvious question here: um, Will the retirement of Tito Francona signal the end of this great run of competitive teams? And I do have a bonus question here uh, for this one as well. But to, to answer that first one, will the retirement of Tito signal the end of of this run of, uh, you know, obviously we've gotten to the World Series, um, unfortunately losing that, uh, losing that very epic World Series to the Cubs in 2016. Uh, we've made the playoffs pretty much, I want to say, in his 11 seasons, in Tito's 11 seasons, we made the playoffs like eight times, um, perhaps maybe it was or maybe it was seven or eight. I can't remember exactly, but and we're competitive literally every single year. Um, you know, despite despite having uh, you know a bottom third payroll um, and being a lower revenue team. Um, so <clears throat> Tito's gone. Uh, you know, we've, we've, the the Guardians have hired uh, Stephen Vote as the as the new manager. Um, there's other ter- other coaching turnover, but. For the most part, the team uh, itself is generally intact. Uh, there's not like going to be any major, major moves. Um, they've they brought in a backup catcher to, to back up Bo Naylor, uh, one that uh, we know can hit and throw. Um, you know, hit at least a little bit and throw, uh, which is better than what we've had uh, in the last couple of seasons. But whatever. Um, so the team itself is pretty much intact. So it it will it will be interesting to see if. If there is a noticeable um, sort of step back in terms of competitiveness, um, in terms of you know on the field product, it, it will be very telling. That maybe, um, and we know how important Tito was here. Um, as 
as managers become less and less important um, in in baseball, you know, basically they are more or less extensions of the of, of the analytics department in the front office. Um, Tito was one of the managers who I don't want to say that he he like could you know veto or override um, you know the the front office or ownership or anything, but he was one of the managers who was able to give whose input really did help um, shape and form decisions that the front office uh, ownership, um, you know, the, the coaching staff, everyone, it, it really was a much more collaborative effort with Tito as one of the, one of the key uh, pieces of that, um, of that sort of think tank, if you will. Whereas a lot of, um, a lot of group, you know, a lot of uh, teams, it's essentially whatever the front office, the, you know, the president of baseball operations or general manager or whatever, uh, and essentially acting uh, as the proxy for the owner, they are essentially telling the, uh, you know, with in conjunction with the analytics department is essentially telling the manager, this is what we're going to do. And you go out and execute it. So the Tito was sort of uh, old school in that regard that he did definitely had a little bit more autonomy on the field. But I think more, more so than that, because that, that idea of like these old school managers is it's been gone for a long time. Sorry, folks. Um, even Dusty Baker, um, you know, now since retired, but even Dusty Baker, um, uh, you know, took a lot of direction from, from the Astros front office. So th- that idea of the, of the old school manager has been dead for a long time, but point being Tito had a lot of sway in the decision-making and how the, how the games were going to be, you know, how series and individual games and individual moves were going to be made, Tito had a lot more input than a lot of other managers would have had. So it is going to be very interesting to see if, um, my guess is that, not to say that they're, not to say that Stephen Vogt is there to just be a, a complete proxy necessarily, but it will be interesting to see exactly if the, if the decision-making process is more is more concentrated in the front office and does not involve Stephen Vogt as much. Um, and thus it will be interesting to see what effect that does have, um, what effect that does have on, on the on-field product. And I'm dancing around a little bit here, but I think that, I don't think that this team is done. I don't think that this team's window is closed. I don't even think that it really, really post 2016, 2017, I kind of think it was closed a little bit anyway, and we've we're just sort of waiting for another chance to open it back up. Um, the thing, the thing here that the Guardians will always have going in their favor, however they figured this out, they are a pitching factory, um, and proof proof more so. Even this past season was even more proof that uh, there seemingly is an unending string of good pitchers um, in the Cleveland throughout the Cleveland minor league system. Um, you know, you bring up three rookies, and they all have varying degrees of success. But one of them, one of them was a rookie of the year finalist. Uh, another one, you know, if he, if if uh, Gavin Williams pans out completely, you're talking about a power right hander who throws 100 miles an hour with with good with good breaking with uh, good breaking stuff, good off speed stuff. Um, if Logan Allen pans out, uh, you're talking about sort of a you know, your crafty lefty, uh, you know, your control pitcher guy that hits going to hit the corners a lot if he pans out. Um, and that's to add on to the guys that we already, the guys that, uh, God, I keep saying we, I'm not on the guardians either. Um, that's adding on to the 
you know, what we know are already good pitchers in the Guardians. You know, a, a Cy Young winner in Shane Bieber, who certainly, um, since his shoulder injury, is a little bit of a different pitcher, but is still a good pitcher who, you know, who knows, you know, to use the old cliche, he knows how to pitch. In other words, he, you know, he knows exactly what his strengths or weaknesses are. He controls the controls the strike zone, controls the edges of the strike zone, and is really great at pitch sequencing still. Um, you know, you can tell that even though he's only topping out at, you know, 92, 93 at this point in time, um, you know, he still can rack up strikeouts because he's a good pitcher. Um, we, we've we seen, you know, an uninjured uh, Cal Quantrill this season had the shoulder injury, and we've seen what Cal Quantrill can do when he's not injured. Um, you know, we know he's a solid pitcher. Tristan McKenzie um, was able to avoid Tommy John surgery. Um, and we've seen we've seen Tristan in the last couple of years take major steps. And we know that he is he is a, you know, a potential, um, you know, a borderline Cy Young type of candidate. So there is a lot of pitching talent already here. Um, so and even if you're not and obviously they did not hit well this year. Um, some of the some of the stuff that they really were good at last year, um, they, kind of, they kind of dropped off the map a little bit this year. Uh, slugging percentage went down. The um, obviously home runs, even though they weren't a home run hitting team, the home runs went down. Um, but as long as you have good pitching from either as a either just as you know the pitchers that you are putting out there every day, or as um, you know potential uh, you know potential pieces for a trade, as long as you have good pitching. Um, you have, you have, it's the, you know, young controllable pitching, young controllable pitching is the most valuable commodity in major league baseball. And the guardians seem to have a lot of it, both, um, you know, both, both in terms of prospects, but also the, you know, the guys more recently at the major league level, and even the guys that could potentially break into the, uh, major league level, you know, guys at triple a, that the, the, there's just a wealth of pitching throughout the guardian system. Um, obviously they really would, they really need someone to hit the baseball other than Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor, um, and, and Bo Naylor. Uh, so we'll see if, you know, we'll see like that's, this It's going to lead to my next question, but you know, we'll see if there are strides to what strides they make to improve there. Um, you know, but I, I just don't think that, I just don't think that whether or not they, they win the central or, you know, win a wild card spot. I just don't imagine this team taking steps backwards. Like the hiring of Stephen Vogt wasn't like a signal that, um, you know, the guardians are putting up the white flag for a few years to retool. It doesn't seem like that simply because of the, you know, there hasn't been a fire sale, uh, knock on wood. There hasn't been a fire sale. We're not moving people. We're not moving pieces around and, you know, established pieces around. Um, So it just doesn't feel like they, it doesn't feel like that they think that there's some sort of, complete finality here without Tito. Um, I, I just think that, um, I just think that there's too much, they have too much in place right now to sort of run up the white flag. You know, it, it just, it seems like there's too much here for them to quit. So I did say, I said, we bonus question here for this one is Tito Francona actually done managing. Um, he has been very hurt this, this, this past couple years various ailments, um, surgeries. He's already had a couple surgeries on his shoulder, shoulder already this year. And he's going to have to have, I think he's going to have to have another procedure in the spring. Um, it really was just like physically difficult for him to, to do, to, you know, to be in the managerial grind every single day. 
Um, but you know, w once these things get, once, you know, and you never know how surgery goes, you know, you could have a surgery and feel okay, but maybe you're still not up to, uh, the, the grind of managing a baseball team day in and day out. Um, but I, I have this distinct feeling that if Tito is healthy, um, whether it's in Cleveland and I would love for it to be in Cleveland, but whether it's in Cleveland or someplace else, I have this feeling that Tito Francona is not done managing just yet. Um, that it, he could be one of those, those, those hires in the way that the Rangers brought in Bruce Bochy and, you know, you know, Boch signed like a, a three-year deal, uh, you know, obviously got the, the world series in his first season, uh, with the Rangers, but think about, think about in a couple of years, Francona being a Bruce Bochy like hire or a Dusty Baker like hire for a team that you know a guy that's maybe has been out of the game for a little bit still still close enough to the game that you know he wouldn't be totally out of touch um you know with with today's player but a team that would need um a, a team that's on the rise that still needs some sort of championship guidance so maybe seriously maybe that is the guardians in a couple years um but if not i have this distinct feeling that Tito Francona is actually not done managing at the major league level now, for next uh, for next episode for tomorrow's episode, um, this is this is uh, again one of the fun ones that I'm actually ready to rip into. So I won't talk about it too much here. But um, what moves should the guards make next season? Um, they again, like I said, that the team is basically intact um, with a few changes here and there. Um, you know, a few pickups already uh, at this point, but the team is basically the team. Um, and obviously, we have some people get coming back healthier. Uh, so we'll see, you know, we'll, but there's obvious places, there's obviously places that they need to make improvements. So we'll see what improvements they, they do end up making, but this isn't like, what are they going to do? This is, um, this is a little bit more, uh, I'm going to get a little bit more creative with this one as a jumping off point. So again, what moves should the guards make next season? All right. So let's finish this episode up with a little talk about the Ohio state Buckeyes who, have in fact trade who have in fact at least filed a trademark V, um, which you know, I know people get like up in arms about this kind of stuff, but since it is a very signature part of, of their brand, it, it makes sense, um, you know, to keep people from you know, from making uh, t shirts and stuff like that. I mean, I is it overkill? Of course it is, but that's just the way these giant, um, these giant sports entities especially work, um, you know, when it comes to merchandising stuff. But, uh, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, but uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, I'm going to wrap up with uh, a couple of questions. A couple of questions here about uh, people, players and people leaving, right? Obviously, college football, more significant turnover uh, than, in, uh, than in pro football. So for this one, and I'm just keying in on one player for this question, but there's in the next this year and then even next year um there's going to be some very interesting and significant turnover at some critical positions so i'll ask this question about the buckeyes this way what is this what does this team look like what does the ohio state buckeyes look like without marvin harrison jr and i again keying in on marvin harrison jr but obviously he is he's going to be one of the top three picks in the draft this coming year um i mean uh, maybe top five i mean at worst, top five, maybe top one or two, you know, Caleb Williams is still going number one, so maybe two or three, whatever. 
but it, you know he's gone um it feels more than likely Trevion Henderson gone more than likely um I know I'm forgetting a a couple defenders it, it just feels like the the recent the 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 contributors of this recent vintage of Ohio State Buckeyes they're all going to be gone in either this season or next season um you know when Kyle McCord will be uh you know be a senior or at least have his last year of eligibility along with uh, some other running backs and some other receivers will be in their last year of eligibility. Um, so I am sort of, and it just, it, it doesn't feel like in years past, you know, remember, remember a couple of years ago, Marvin Harrison wasn't on the field that often because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were on the field. And then, you know, when, when Harrison stepped up, um, you know, he took the spot, like he and, he and Emeka Obuka were, um, you know, were uh had still had to share time with uh jackson smith and jigba um you know we we had this um oddly enough i had this discussion with my mom about ohio state quarterbacks um and, and kyle mccord and who i think is a very he's a very proficient uh collegiate quarterback even you know maybe even like a, a top um you know a top 30 or top 40 type uh, college uh, college qb probably a top 30 type college qb but we've had such a string. Again, we. I don't play for the Buckeyes either. Um, Buckeyes have had such a string of not just excellent collegiate quarterbacking, but quarterbacks who would then go on to be drafted. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud, number two overall. Justin Fields, I believe, was the 10th or 11th pick overall. Dwayne Haskins, the late Dwayne Haskins, was the 15th pick overall. Um, you know, I know JT Barrett didn't, wasn't like a high draft pick, but, uh, you know, set a lot of, set a lot of big 10 records, um, in his tenure at Ohio state Cardale, um, you know, went on to play in the NFL, at least a little bit Cardale Jones. So there's just a long stretch, um, a very long stretch of very high, high, high quarterback, high, high level, high caliber quarterback play. And it feels like it's the first time in a long time that at these critical skill positions, at you know quarterback, wide receiver, running back, um, it really even feels like in the secondary, with a couple of exceptions, um, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's it doesn't feel like there's the same depth of um, of uh, the you know these five star type players that are coming through. So I am very I am very very curious once Marvin Harrison moves on, once you know once really this sort of last uh, collection of players that has been um, in, you know, in or near the CFP um, rankings, you know, the top four rankings every year for the past, um, you know, four years or so. I'm very curious as to what that looks like. And that's what I'm going to answer right now, obviously. So I think, I do think that there is a chance that the the way that Ohio State is, they don't, they don't have the luxury to, sort of rebuild but because of the transfer portal and should should they get a, a decent infusion of nil money they certainly will be able to reload quicker and i think the way that especially these quarterbacks sort of move around in college football now i think that once kyle mccord is um is done at ohio state that the becoming the transferring to Ohio State, you know, especially if you were, especially if there's a kid out there who maybe starts at some place like, 
um, you know, like a Boise or Utah or something, or even even a bigger school, like if they, you know, they start at uh, Oregon or something like that, the opportunity to then turn and become the Ohio State quarterback, um, should they, you know, should that sort of should that sort of meet up with them would be would be too tempting to pass up um, in terms of both exposure, brand name, potential NIL money. Um, there is a lot, there's a lot to offer in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot to offer for any potential quarterback, for any potential skill position uh, player that might, that might be sort of, I don't want to say done with their school, but since they're, they have a better ability to, to move around now between schools, I think that Ohio State still offers um, quite a bit and, those kind of vacancies will also be attractive to say like to again be a quarterback be a wide receiver to say hey i can step in right now look what they do with their quarterbacks look what they do with their wide receivers look what they do with their defensive linemen um there's there's ample opportunity to um to step into ohio state in in one of those roles um and i think ohio state especially would would welcome a more polished collegiate player um if, if the opportunity presents itself especially at the quarterback position um so i think so I think Ohio State fans have to kind of get used to maybe a little bit of uncomfortability, knowing that while there's still some very good receivers, um, you know, in, waiting in the wings, and there's still some, there's still plenty of talent because it is Ohio State on both sides of the ball, that they might have to be a little bit patient and see what happens with the transfer portal, um, you know, to see if if the next star quarterback or wide receiver or can't imagine a running back transfers necessarily, but I, mean, I guess it could happen. Or to see, you know, the next, uh, you know, the next uh, defensive back for, uh, you know, for BIA, um, or, you know, best in America. If if that person is not, if that if that player is not already in the collegiate ranks, but just not at Ohio State yet. So I think there's going to be a couple of years, um, you know, at least one year, but potentially a couple of years where that's where a lot of the that's where a lot of the the next sort of wave of talent is going to come from come from is through the transfer portal until we again god damn it i did it again i'm not a didn't even go to ohio state um until the buckeyes again do land sort of those you know they have like a crop you know we had a period there um you know thinking about like uh we had a period there where we had both both boses and chase young you know come through come through ohio state in the course of like a, a five-year span uh, or whatever it was, four year, four year span, five year span, whatever. Um, you know, we obviously I already mentioned like the the great run of of quarterbacks that uh, that Ohio, that Ohio State has had for you know the better part of a decade. Um, it's I just don't think you know that that just doesn't happen that often where you get runs like that. And the fact that Ohio State has seemingly put um, a, a ton of wide receivers in the NFL, uh, I'll even go ahead and throw Jameson Williams in there, who obviously uh, was. Drafted, drafted out of Alabama, but spent spent his first three years at Ohio State as well. Um, so it's just it's just going to take. Again, I don't think it's going to take a lot of time, but I think there's going to be a period where you know, be it a season or two seasons, where it doesn't feel like everywhere you turn there's a first round draft pick at the skill positions. But not to say that they're not to say that they're not going to be able to lure one or two away from, um, you know, a potential, you know, a situation where, um, you know, maybe they're, they're like what happened with Ohio State with Jameson Williams, with Joe Burrow, they were so far down the depth chart that there are better opportunities for them. 
um, you know, it's possible that Ohio State then becomes that that spot where there are better opportunities for someone farther down, um, you know, Clemson or Alabama's, um, you know, depth chart. And, uh, you know, you find you find gold that way. So I do think it will be an interesting couple of seasons, probably light, light on name recognition, but not light on players who can still play football. That's for sure. So how about um, how about our question for uh, for tomorrow here? The one we're gonna we're gonna our jumping off point for the Buckeyes tomorrow. And again, I don't want to get too far into this one, but needless to say, this is a question or this this is sort of the something that feels like it gets that is definitely more. Um, it seems like a question that the fan base is more concerned with than any real analyst or insider in in college football has ever really brought up. But that's the uh, so the question is, what happens if Ryan Day and OSU part ways? I, I feel like this is a subject for more for the fans because it's never really been suggested that um, that Ohio State is unhappy with Ryan Day. Certainly, the guy's lost like something like six games in five seasons, um, and you know several of those losses. Obviously, several of those losses seem like they're much more impactful. Um, you know, losing to Michigan the last two years, but I mean, this is a he he has had this team quite literally in position for the college football playoff heading into the final week of the season pretty much every season that he's been the head coach and there's just not many coaches that can say that so again i, I don't want to get too much farther into that because i feel like i'm almost answering it but what happens if ryan day and osu part ways that's a something very very big for for buckeye nation to consider all right that does it for this episode i did pretty good on time here i think probably just under an hour um, no, I think just under 50 minutes. So, uh, pretty good, pretty good timing there. Um, no, just under an hour. I can't count. I apologize. Um, so something that, um, I carry Well, obviously I guess I don't really think about this cause we're carrying over several questions into the next episode, but I, I am also going to carry over. Um, I'm, I am going to try to keep this sort of, um, try again, try to keep the interactive interactive ability i don't know that doesn't make any fucking sense i'm gonna try to keep the interactive nature um going a little bit again from episode to episode uh so you know expect a few more questions maybe a few more um things to to consider uh be it you know whether or not they're on social media or not just have a few more things to consider in every episode so i'm still kind of um keeping pace with that ongoing homework so Again, that's it for this episode. Tomorrow, we will jump in with some answers to the questions that I posed. And uh, again, I'll use those as jumping off points to kind of get into some stuff. And in a couple cases, uh, I'm going to get into some bizarre stuff. <laughs> Trust me, you'll enjoy it, though. So we will see you next time on The Occasionalists. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. We'll see you out there.